Hey, this is David Lee Kim, co-founder of Omniscient Digital, and you're listening to The Long Game. In this episode, we hear from Brian Honigman. Brian is a marketing consultant based in Philadelphia and is taught as an adjunct professor at Kellogg, NYU, and UFM. He works with technology companies, media brands, and nonprofits to help them earn meaningful results with digital marketing, social media, and content marketing. In this conversation, we talk about his career and how he ended up teaching as a professor alongside his work as a consultant and how teaching led to serendipitous opportunities. We also talk about how businesses should think about breaking through the noise with their marketing and perhaps testing out underrated marketing channels that they would have otherwise written off. We also talk about the importance of finding time to do things outside of work purely for enjoyment. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Brian Honigman. Brian, it's so great to have you on The Long Game. Thanks so much for making the time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Great to be here. Of course. So we'll we'll jump in and I'm going to take a moment to brag about you a little bit and give the listeners a little bit more context of who we're speaking to right now. And then we'll jump into the first question. So you're currently a professor of marketing at Northwestern University and a consultant as well. Before that, you uh, uh, were a writer, did some paid marketing, did some social media management, became a digital marketing director for Mark Echo, which I used to wear that brand growing up and I have not heard about them for almost two decades. Uh, I just looked them up right before this and they're still around. Um, so great job on that. Um, bef- and then from there, you went into a long period of writing for publications like the Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, Forbes, The Next Web, and so on. And you, at this point, you started to make more of a transition into teaching at New York University, uh, Universidad Francisco Marroquin in Guatemala, uh, remotely, I learned, and Northwestern. And so I kind of breezed through a lot of your background in broad strokes. But as I looked through your career from, from a, an outsider's point of view, I think, wow, that's such a diverse background. And there seems to be so many different chapters. And so I, I'd love to hear how you thread the needle across those different chapters of your career and what led to those different transitions across your career. Uh, well, thanks so much for that, the thoughtful words about what I'm doing. That sounds always fancier when someone else says it. Uh, and I appreciate your due diligence. Uh, I would say the thread across my career is pretty much education. That's pretty much what ties everything together. So as a marketing consultant, you know, I'm an independent marketing consultant currently. Everything I do, I'm educating clients and educating you know clients as in companies how to succeed with marketing in a coaching capacity. I work with the career coach for marketers. I help individuals get to their next level of success in their career. I'm doing education in that capacity, or it's in the classroom, I'm teaching you know how to whatever you know get better results with social media to navigate a career, you know what what have you. Um, I've worked at uh, startups in the past, agency, Mark Echo, which you, which you mentioned. Um, uh, I've written, I've uh, shared a lot of my ideas and thoughts and experiences about marketing across, you know, writing and and all different speaking engagements, and all of that's education. I'm trying to educate folks on how to get better results in less time using, you know, more thoughtfully using their resources with marketing. You know, trying to. Uh, move the needle with marketing in a thoughtful way. So education is the thread that ties it all together and um, helps simplify it so it makes sense, even though it seems kind of scattered all over the place. But there is some thought to it a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Why Why the focus on education versus, say, focusing full-time on uh, being consultant or going to work in-house for uh, a tech company as many of us do nowadays? Why, why the decision to have this branch of, you know, being a marketing professor and all of that? What was it that, that interested you about it? Yeah. Um, a couple things. Um, so as a consultant, you know, there's, you're, you're competing for attention amongst numerous other consultants in the market, other agencies, all different kinds of organizations, individuals that can help people with marketing. What can you do to stand out 
and uh, come across as credible. So honestly, that was my initial thinking to um, mm. go into the teaching space. So um, the first university that I taught at in a consistent manner, I did a lot of um, guest lectures at different universities leading up to this. But my, that was my initial um, drive was to, okay, I want to teach in a university classroom to uh, add that level of credibility. So when, when I'm having a call with a client, I'm not just, you know, there's, I'm showing versus telling. I'm not just saying I'm great uh, at this skill set. I have different proof points from credible third party, third party institutions saying that I know, you know, I know my stuff. Uh, so that was kind of the initial motivation, but I learned quite quickly, you know, beyond uh, beyond my own self-serving interests for my business, that it's uh, certainly a more gratifying experience to help the individual get from point A to point B than it is for to help a company to get point from point A to point B, right? Like I love being paid. I love seeing success for my clients and, you know, uh, achieving their goals and with their within their budget and doing it in a quicker period of time, but it just quite frankly, doesn't compare to helping the individual in the classroom, you know, figure out that concept for the first time and watching that click in real time from whether I'm, you know, in the classroom setting in person virtually, or I do, uh, like I mentioned, coaching when, when they, when you find that breakthrough with an individual, it just, you know, helps you, uh, feel like your work is a lot more important. Um, that, so that always feels nice. So, um, it helps you sleep more at night and it's a nice, um, and then another self-serving thing is it's a nice diversity to my schedule in the sense of, I'm not just only working with, you know, clients in a consulting capacity, you know, the, uh, higher education e-learning space is a very different sector, different experience. So I like to, um, diversify what I'm doing with my day and also, where where is the revenue coming from? I'm not relying on any one stream of revenue at a time. So a couple mm. things go into it. Yeah, I, I love the idea of interacting with people and teaching them, seeing how an individual kind of it clicks for them. And I think, or at least I'm I'm curious if you feel that way. But in marketing, we're always talking about the market and trends and our audience and our target persona, but not actually speaking to that person on a one-on-one basis. It's very high level. And to hear that you you get to engage and see the impact of what you're doing with someone one-on-one seems to resonate. And one other thing that I've noticed, and I'm curious if, if you see this speaking as a consultant, is marketers are kind of in our own bubble. We think that something is, uh, everyone's doing this one thing, but it's really only looking at those popular businesses, B2B or B2C companies. But when you look at other industries that may not be as savvy, you realize that these trends that people are talking about are actually not that trendy. There's actually a lot of room to teach a lot of businesses about how to do marketing better because they might still be doing marketing from like the early 2000s, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's certainly something to... Um, so sometimes as marketers, it's it's easy to get caught up uh, in our own little bubble and silo and be like, okay, everybody's doing this. So we all have to follow that trend. I think going back to teaching, that's something that's like another benefit for me as a, as a marketer is learning from a different generation of folks accessing marketing for the first time or leveling up their marketing capabilities. Teaching uh, a subject matter helps you learn it to the next degree. And I often, you know, helps me get out of the, you know, the ivory tower of like, oh, I think I know all this stuff about marketing. Whereas a student will come to you and say, well, what about this? Like, that makes no sense or come from an angle you hadn't thought of. So that's been quite helpful in my own career, but um, I think it's important to be uh, mindful of trends in marketing, um, but not to you know say, okay, this works for the three big companies that everyone hears of. Let's just copy and paste. Is quickly assessing does that trend actually matter to us, and if so, mm-hmm. how do we apply it to our unique customer base? Because who Coca Cola reaches is really different than who. Uh, the World Wildlife Fund is trying to reach. And if they both try to do the same exact thing, that's okay. It just has to be from a, you know, from with with all their own considerations in mind. So I think trends are great, but think of them as like an entryway or a starting point into doing something uh, impactful with marketing. Um, but it's not, you know, trends are great because it's uh, there's less risk, risk given that 
okay, a couple of the organizations have found success here. They kind of trailblaze for us. We can kind of adopt there and be safe. But there's so much opportunity in marketing in exploring niches or tactics or channels as that, quote, I hate the word, you know, thought leadership at this point, but like in it being an innovator, or, you know, trying out something new for yourself first as an organization, despite there being a best practices manual or some other big brand that's already done it first, there's a lot of findings there. Um, two to be thinking about as a marketer and make sure that you get outside of your own little silo. Also, though, that there's limited time for many small business, small to mid mid-sized businesses to do that level of experimentation. So it's it's that's why many of us you know fall back on best practices because there's less room for error. Um, but yeah, um, so to to get out of your own silo, like um, make sure you're talking to a, a variety of people, talk to your own customers talk to folks with different perspectives on marketing in and out of your sector, get a sense of the trends that are out there and then really dissect how do they uh, apply to you. Those are some things to make sure that I'm not, you know, drinking the own, my own Kool-Aid as they say it and um, trying to stay as modern and ahead of the curve as possible uh, at any yeah. given point in time. Yeah. I, w- I want to come back to this idea of trends. Uh before we get to that, though, I, I did want to double click in on what you're talking about teaching, because I think for some folks in marketing, some of us do public speaking, so we get to at least teach to an audience, maybe not one-on-one, but a lot of folks want to get to that and don't have the opportunity to or, or just not try to break into it. I think what I'd love to hear from you now that you had a lot of experience teaching with uh, students is what's, what's a story you have maybe of when you were trying to teach a classroom or an individual particular concept and it just really clicked with them. And that was something that stuck with you. So I think uh, as we were talking about uh, before we got started, uh, I teach at uh, uh, Francisco Marquin university. You said the Spanish way of saying it, I will, I will butcher it. Uh, the uh, it's a university based in uh, Guatemala, Guatemala city, private university. And I'm a visiting professor there and I teach all different kinds of marketing courses remotely and soon to be in person. And I've gotten a lot of uh, interesting insights from those classrooms because it's a different, I'm American, I'm based in America. Most of my worldview is pretty North American centric um, for better or for worse. So uh, in those classrooms, I've learned a lot about other viewpoints. Um, I would say what was interesting to see um, is in a social media analytics course I was teaching at uh, Francisco Marquis University, um, we're, t- we're diving into kind of why social media even matters to, as like a starting point to um, get to the point of like, okay, so how, does it, how do we determine if it matters, you know, measure if our activities are worthwhile there? Um, and I don't know if I have like one like grand story, but uh, we were diving into, you know, different tools, the reason social media matters beyond just like watching videos as an individual and like what businesses can do with it. And you could actively, when, when we were presenting uh, examples of Guatemalan businesses, Guatemalan brands elevating whatever their business goals were through the use of social media, I literally saw like the light bulb kind of click in some of the minds of the students because with uh social media, everybody kind of has an opinion of it, of it because as consumers, we're all whatever, wasting time there or connecting with family and friends. And you think you have the full purview of it, but it's very different to come in. It's not rocket science or anything, but it's a different purview to come in from how does a business use this channel? And uh, it was some of the students' first exposure to thinking uh, about uh, why social media ma- actually matters to a business and just seeing over Zoom, which Zoom is already kind of annoying for, for teaching in the classroom. It's it's hard for everybody to stay focused. Um, just seeing everybody's face like kind of light up and, and kind of confusion and also excitement about like the possibilities of social media. Of course, there's downsides that we're all more aware of now, but seeing that like potential in the faces of, of the, the students was um, really gratifying, maybe, you know, enjoy teaching again, like anything that you do professionally, there's, there's highs and lows of when you're liking it and other times where it's more difficult. And that was a definitely a helpful, um, 
reignition because it was like mm. genuine excitement about a subject that you know taught repeatedly so sometimes things for me get mundane um and that was exciting to see for the first time like um awareness of another angle of a subject that the students uh thought they had full understanding of but for the first time got you know uh exposure to something else so that was pretty cool seeing seeing the actual face kind of you know thinking in real time was pretty cool yeah that's amazing i i love explaining marketing concepts to folks who aren't in marketing uh the other day i was explaining my girlfriend is learning about how apple or how facebook is impacted by apple removing their, their tracking and all that and she asked how does pixel tracking work which was never a question i would have expected to hear from her and i thought oh these things that seem obvious to me about how different websites collect information about individuals she has no clue about and now whenever she visits a website she's fully cognizant that they're tracking her, her actions for better or worse, but now she's more educated and, and sees what's what's being done um, on your website, on the internet and everything. Um, totally. I did want to ask, how did you end up teaching at a Guatemalan university? How did that come about? Yeah, it feels random on, on the surface. Um, uh, basically, I'd been at that point teaching at NYU uh, as an adjunct instructor for five years, uh, been teaching multiple courses on uh, LinkedIn learning. It's like a LinkedIn's e-learning platform. They have a lot of self-paced video courses that I teach there amongst other instructors. So I'd been doing it for a while and they were looking, uh, it's a common practice to have for many universities to have a visiting professor, which basically means you're trying to get subject matter experts at different universities at different teaching institutions and bring them to your institution to, you know, um, improve the, you know, um, uh, the material, uh, deliver, uh, improve the diversity of subject matter you're offering to students from a different mm -hmm. perspective. So this university, uh, Francisco Marquin University, they uh, often have visiting professors and all different types of subject matter come in, do, you know, long-term or short-term short um, stint as a teacher on a class or two. Um, so, yeah, they just kind of reached out and we uh, went from there. They found me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is uh, often one of the sources of all kinds of things for me. Um, but, yeah, it, and that came, basically came from teaching long-term and they said, okay, we trust that you know the subject matter and that you can also teach it. So we want to collaborate further. So that's kind of how that came to be. But to be honest, in the initial hour, I never had heard of the university uh, pr uh, prior, but that's probably the kind of path that where that opportunity came about. Yeah, I, I love the idea of how just take one opportunity and serendipity takes over and you just get additional opportunities and maybe that's a good segue to ask about the next thing and we'll tie this back to to trends but you you worked with nato uh in in i think an educational capacity how did that come about what were you doing with them when it came to social media and are, th are they doing tiktok now <laughs> um not sure probably their social media uh lead is a really smart gentleman that's on the cusp of everything um so nato working with nato was a speaking engagement they had a uh, social media forum uh, basically like a conference where they brought up brought in all different types of social media professionals and had them come speak to nato members to different ambassadors different political folks um uh, locally in europe eu members etc and you know, speak on different topics on how they can all elevate their organization's um, social media usage. Uh, so that was really cool. One of the highlights of my career in terms of getting to do that and going to, to Brussels and meeting all these interesting folks. It was really cool. How it came about was through networking, pretty much. Um, throughout my career, I've used social media to reach out to other folks active in the marketing space uh, interview them for courses I'm doing or in articles I'm writing or have them guest lecture in my, in my one of my classes. I've just been consistently, you know, there was periods of time where I did it more often, but I consistently reached out to other folks that I think are doing cool things and find ways of providing value right off the gate. So they can't say no. 
because there's it's in it, there's there's benefits for them. And uh, this one gentleman that I've been connecting with for a while, um, he was like the keynote speaker at the conference, and they asked him for suggestions of other folks in America that are doing interesting things in social, and like we had already had a relationship, and he recommended me to a bunch of uh, to the conference organizers, and I think he recommended a couple other folks. So that was just through serendipity, but networking, but also networking for a while again, like some of it feels very random and like, Oh, that just kind of popped up in a nowhere, which was true. But, um, there's like long-term work behind the scenes that kind of built up the luck, you know, there's no such thing as like completely out of the blue. So, but yeah, that was a really cool, uh, cool moment in my personal and professional career. Yes. It's definitely unique. I, I can't say I know many people who have taught, uh, folks at NATO how to do marketing. So I think we, we've gotten a good sense of your background and uh, your background in teaching. I'd love to jump into kind of maybe more of your consulting side of things. So one of the things I speak with colleagues and, and peers about is how saturated marketing channels are nowadays. You know, there's more and more yeah. companies entering the market and yep. yet the number of channels to you can market through hasn't really grown that quickly. So there aren't many new Facebooks or Twitters or search engines gaining widespread adoption where we can use them as marketing channels. So I'd love to hear maybe from, from your consultant side of things, how should companies be thinking about either one breaking into these saturated marketing channels or evaluating other maybe upcoming channels that may not be as big? Yeah. Um, so the way I think of it is like kind of what I touched on before is you got to find a nice balance of what are the trends and how can we align to them and apply them to our own, um, you know, our own unique approach as an organization, whether we, you know, sell shoes or a nonprofit helping fight world hunger, how do we apply XYZ trend? Like, for example, on TikTok, like one of the big things there are all the different challenges and trends they have there. And one way to gain visibility is to creatively participate in that trend as it relates to your organization. So that's like a very specific example, but that's always a great starting point uh, to kind of bring yourself into existing conversations happening on different places online mm-hmm. uh, from a mar- with marketing goals in mind. And then the other other area is experimenting with things off the beaten path, trying new channels out for the first time, trying uncommon approaches uh, to existing channels. Um, you know, for example. Um, I worked with a government organization uh, all throughout the end of last year. And you don't really see governments on social media in particular, like partnering with influencers. That's mm-hmm. not very common because of a lot of different considerations in there. But that is like the perfect example of a marketing technique for an or- for a government entity to embrace because there's not a lot of competition and there's not a lot of organi- uh, other um, um government entities that are able to do it are able to do it and get through all the red tape and manage the complexities effectively. And if you can, darn, will that really help you stand out? Uh, the uh, executive branch, the White House in the, um, in the US has done a really great job about working with influencers on social media uh, in past months. And it really stood out and got a lot of coverage for better, for worse. Um, and it helps bring their message higher because it was something unique that they kind of experimented with. So it's like being aware of the trends is a great way to bring yourself into the conversation, but having an awareness of the trends also um, can give you a sense of, okay, where are there some gaps in my unique space? So being willing to experiment and try different stuff that kind of off the beaten path um, is quite helpful. And then something that I bring unique to the table, I think as a consultant is, um, cross-sector expertise or cross, uh, not expertise, cross-sector um, uh, clients and experiences. So uh, I w- work uh, in the marketing space, primarily in digital marketing, content marketing, and social media. Uh, in terms of the clients I work with, uh, media brands, tech companies, and nonprofits. The lessons learned across those different sectors are, have been so valuable to my clients, to my, my own work. Um, and it's so easy, as we were talking about before, as marketers to get siloed, get siloed in what's happening in your industry, 
we just take the time to look outside of the sector and see what, okay, as a nonprofit, I should be looking at what some brands are doing and see how I can apply it to my own scenario. And that's something that I uniquely bring to a lot of the projects I work on. And it's been really beneficial um, uh, in many scenarios. And it's kind of like the value almost similarly to like an agency brings. They work with all different clients and it's couple different sectors and they, you know, know the channel and how to apply that channel or tactic to a lot of different um, use cases and nuances. So um, those are some things to be thinking about to really cut through the noise. Yeah, I, I love the idea of not just immediately writing off some tactic or strategy because, oh, we can't do that, but rather looking at other industries and maybe even competitors or completely different business models and learning about how they're doing marketing and what you can try. I, I'd love to hear about an example, anything you're, you're able to share of a situation where your learnings across one sector or industry apply to a completely different industry. And if there's a specific project or campaign you can speak to that, that illustrates that. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I worked with um, a big tech company last year um, that's pretty good at marketing already. And one thing that they did quite well is to um, very succinctly uh, define different personas for the customers that they're going after. And they really built that alignment internally so that they're not only super aware of the, you know, whatever, three to four types of uh, personas they're going after in all their marketing campaigns so they can better personalize their efforts and hopefully get better results um, by doing so. Um, but they also uh, really did a great job of building internal culture in the marketing um, team around using the different personas, um, you know, speaking them. And when we were talking about a campaign, referencing them by name and really like bringing it into their day-to-day -day work because they're more likely to succeed with it externally if we're all on the same page internally as a marketing unit. Um, and in working with um, a nonprofit this year, I've really tried my best to instill that um, those lessons there. I'm, you know, surely multiple nonprofits have created different personas for their donors, but as doing it for the first time as a first exercise and really stressing the external use and internal use so that we're all talking the same language and focusing on the same priorities has already been quite beneficial uh, for this particular nonprofit and in um, executing on this for the first time, thinking of their donor base in a strategic manner in this capacity. Um, so it's been really great to pool lessons learned from one, you know, the private sector to the nonprofit sector um, has been quite beneficial uh, in this case. So um, yeah, that's one that comes top of mind that's been pretty recent. That's Sorry, I can't get into the specific names of no problem. I actually think that's a perfect example. You know, buyer personas seems very obviously something to do, but not everyone's doing it. And teaching totally. someone to do something like that is could be very beneficial for their business and their marketing activities. You you just you just summarize it in what buyer personas. Well, a nonprofit doesn't talk in that language. Buyer personas, mm -hmm. that's like very tech company and whatever cool startups. They're donor personas because they're not reaching a buyer. They're giving a donor who someone gives charitable gifts to them. So you, you, you've, you've uh, reinforced my point. It's literally, it's just different sectors and organizations talk differently and think differently and operate differently. And how do we marry it at all? Marry it all together in a thoughtful way. Yeah, even there, I mean, I my background is working at HubSpot for six years. So buyer persona is just the phrase I go to. So donor personas. Um, so you, you mentioned also looking at underrated marketing channels in addition to understanding what the trends are, what are those underrated marketing channels that you're, you're thinking of or that, that businesses should be considering at least testing out? Yeah. Um, depends, but um, one that, you know, isn't like a secret or anything um, that is still on the rise is discord. For example, uh, discord is the, part of the audio wave on social media and discord is primarily a kind of um, it's a mobile only kind of social network. And it's mainly for having um, live discussions with fellow gamers uh, also playing a game. That's kind of how it 
came to life and its main use case now is, you know, if you're playing Fortnite, you can go there and talk with other Fortnite players and connect with people with shared interests and do all kinds of so many features. But the big component is like talking about a shared interest, talking over audio, either live or, you know, in the chat function. And um, as the popularity of that platform is, is currently on the rise, other use cases have emerged, other brands are active there. Um, and I think that's an opportunity for certain kinds of organizations. So again, not everybody, certain kinds of like, I think enterprise brands w- will have success there. Like you basically, oh. in my opinion. I, I didn't what? expect to hear that. Uh, please continue. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I'd love to hear, uh, you know, why that's surprising for you. I, I, I want to talk about this. Um, I, I just think it's so hard to build a new initial community anywhere. Right. So I don't know. I just think there you'll need to be a more established organization to kind of alert your existing community that you're there um, and to have enough content that might actually match the use cases of discord. So as an example, Real quick, um, I actually did a whole uh, video on this for, I have a course on LinkedIn learning. It's uh, social media marketing trends where I talk about trends that'll last for the long term for all different kinds of organizations. And I, in, in that video, I um, interviewed um, the social media manager for Hot Topic and how they're using Discord. So the short of it is Hot Topic, which is a clothing retailer typically found in malls in the US. And they have like all different kind of like cultural memorabilia from like anime to Star Wars to what a movie t-shirts and, and merch and all kinds of stuff. And what a perfect brand to get active on Discord because there's all these like little sub communities that like love, like I'm a this Pokemon fan or I'm this anime fan. What a great way to like organize them on the social app. So they basically have, I forget the name off the top of my head, unfortunately, but it's uh, like basically an anime fan club and it's mainly meant to foster community amongst the hot topic, hot topic fans that have an interest in anime. Um, and occasionally the brand chimes in with exclusive merch drops. They do events on discord. And that's really an example of something that's like still not too crowded. Um, there's so much room for creativity yeah. Um, but I'd be curious to hear, you know, um, you, you were like, oh, I didn't, you know, you sounded like you were surprised to hear that enterprise brands would be the best there. I'd love to hear your your insights on that. Yeah, I, it might be uh, my bias because when you say enterprise, I think of B2B companies, which may, oh. maybe they can make Discord work. Um, I, Sorry. I know another brand that, that is doing Discord is Adidas is doing some partnerships. Yeah. I'm into crypto, so I see there's a lot of crypto communities on Discord, sure. and and my friends are gamers, so I, I know there's a lot there. When I think of enterprise, where my mind goes is, I wonder how a B two B company could do Discord, and maybe Perfect. Slack is to B two B versus Discord is to B two C, or why why break them apart like that? Yeah, so you brought up a really great point. So when I I don't maybe I'm uh, not using the word correctly, but I typically use enterprise to just being big brands, big brands, yeah, B to B, B to C. Um, but uh, so you just brought up something that we've been talking about. So it's like it's more logical to think of all the B to C use cases of Discord from Hot Topic to Adidas, but there's probably far less use cases for B to C. But that does that. There's the opportunity, right mm. there. That's a an area of exploration. Something surprising and different. It's like what kind of community would would make sense to cultivate there? I, I'm not sure. Maybe Adobe goes there and like cultivates a community of, of, I don't know, amongst emerging designers and like makes a whole community of like folks trying to excel in the design career and like what a better curator of, of that community than Adobe who has all these design products and blah, blah, blah. You know, who knows if it worked, but yeah, tr- um, having an expectation of something and then saying, Ooh, that seems like not really possible. Like a B2B probably would do well there. That's the perfect thing to potentially explore and do some research on. Yeah. It it reminds me a quote I got, I heard from Seth Godin many, many years ago. Like uh, if, if you have this idea where you say it might not work, you should probably give it a shot because other people are thinking the same thing. And if you're the one that can make it work, you stand out. Um, 
So I, I want to take a little pivot in our conversation here. We, we got to hear a bit about uh, you as a consultant, as an educator, and hopefully some folks listening got some ideas of what they can do to try some new channels for marketing. I'd love to hear now a bit, maybe a bit more about what you're doing uh, or how you think about your career moving forward and how, how else you spend your time. And maybe the first question we can start with there is what's, what's that long game that you're focused on for yourself? Where are you headed maybe in terms of, of your career, what you're trying to build for yourself? The, the long game for me is to is quite simple. I'm sure there's pros and cons on having a, a more you know specific goal or what have you, but the long game for me is to continue to be happy about uh, and excited about the work I'm doing, not working too much, making good money that I'm, you know, ha- uh, happy and comfortable with. That's pretty much it. That's the straightforward is I want to, you know, work on things that excite me, not work too much, get paid fairly. That's the, the, sh- the really short version. Um, basically when you work for yourself, I'm sure there's various degrees of, uh, perspective here, but for me, there's been times where I've just, you know, burned myself out working on so many different things and being even, you know, I'm trying to be super strategic with my schedule and whatever, and it still falls apart at times. And even if it's the most exciting project, if you're rushing around and you're spread too thin, then it doesn't become exciting anymore. It just becomes something you have to get done. And, um, in order for me to show up and be the best person, professional marketer for anything I'm working on, I need to be energized, fulfilled. I need to have energy and, you know, anything at excess, including, you know, yeah, anything in excess can quickly become not so fun. Uh, it can become a burden, not a uh, responsibility and not, you know, this privilege that you're excited to, to work on something. So that's something I'm always really, really focused on. I want to, continue to do projects that are exciting. I can make an impact um, at that organization or for that individual. Um, and I like the di- continuing to um, have diversity amongst uh, the things I'm working on, you know, split, splitting my time between consulting, teaching and coaching has been, and it's taken a, taken a long time to get here, has been very rewarding and that's motivating to keep going. Um, yeah, and I just want to continue to, you know, plan for my future. Pretty much, I want to make sure that um, my business is scalable. It doesn't always require me to be at the forefront of everything. Um, that's just the way. You know, I'm not like um, selling a product. It's mainly my time is the commodity, so it's difficult at times. So, um, so yeah. Long answer for what is my long game? I just want to. Um, you know, be mindful of how often I'm working, work on things I'm excited about, get paid for it in a, in a uh, balanced manner. And yeah, continue to elevate on that particular, uh, that particular long game. I love that. Yeah. Keep it simple. It, I, that idea of working on things that excite you and not pushing yourself too hard where it's no longer fun really resonates. Uh, as we're building out our marketing agency, one of our principles is this should be fun. You know, work work gets really difficult and it's not always going to be easy. Yeah. So yeah. it needs to be fun. And this was actually something that was reflected. We we try to have some uh, folks on our podcast who we think, oh, they're a big name, but the way they might respond to our outreach or just the vibe that we get from them is makes us realize they sound a little bit entitled and I don't know if I want to have a conversation with them anymore. That sounds like it won't be fun. <laughs> and so we decided, yes. Hey, the, the name's probably really cool and we admire them, but I don't know if we want, we should do this. So it, it helps. It's a good heuristic for, should we take on this client? They they're really yes. tough in the self sales process. Do we really want to work with them for eight months? Um, so I, I love that as a heuristic. That is such a good, yeah, it should be enjoyable. Not everything. And it's not, you know, I'm not under an illusion that every aspect, no aspect of any career or role is all fun and games and and filling. There's boring, there's arduous parts, there's difficult and challenging parts, which can be fun too. But uh, at least a a significant portion of it should be, you know, engaging in some way. You know, Mm -hmm. not everything is just like perfect passion filled dream job, but uh, having at least some of it be that, that, that's important to me. Yeah. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. You, you mentioned building your business to be scalable without you, which may be a little bit difficult. And 
for me, when I, when I see, oh, Brian Honigman, that's who I'm going to be hiring. How do you think about scaling it out and what are the challenges there that you're working through right now? Um, so basically what are things, uh, you know, I hate the term passive income has been like taken over by like the most annoying people ever, but basically like what are ways that I can, um, uh, package the knowledge that I'm giving in an individual coaching session in the classroom, in, uh, consulting calls or whatever, that I don't necessarily need to be there every time. Luckily for me, that one of the ways to do that is through, um, uh, doing online courses where you can, you know, put up all the work up front, create, you know, this great product that teaches someone, uh, teaches students on a particular subject matter, and then it's live. And, and hopefully, you know, it gets um, uh, participants and that's a revenue source. Of course, there's, you know, ongoing updates to make over time, which is important to make sure everything stays fresh, especially in marketing. So it's not just like this shortcut by any means, but uh self-paced kind of online courses that's been a really helpful um way of generating revenue that doesn't require my you know me you know brian Huntington to be there every time and then uh, i'm investing in stuff personally and whatever professionally outside of all this like completely unrelated to um you know marketing revenue streams or whatever term but um i've uh, invested in airbnbs we're working on our second airbnb property so that, you know, is, is a whole, we can do a whole episode on the, the pros and cons of that. And, um, uh, you know, it's a privilege to complain about, but um, it's mainly been good. Uh, and we've gotten to a point with the first that it's pretty much operates on its own. So that's a re- source of revenue that doesn't, re- they don't, doesn't require Brian Honigman to be there. Um, and that's something kind of, I don't know. Earlier in my career, when I'd be, if I were thinking of revenue streams, I wouldn't have been thinking of something outside of, you know, what am I doing in the nine to five hours that, you know, I, I don't know, short sighted beyond like, um, you know, putting in your retirement fund or whatever that's important for everybody to do, blah, blah, blah. But it feels um, so distant, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. um, so this has been, that's been a really good um, uh, an additional revenue stream that I just think every decade i will have less energy i just imagine <laughs> less um flexibility so i'm trying to hedge my bet hedge my bets and um prepare myself for the future um yeah so that that's something you know online courses and then uh, real estate investments has been something that i've had the privilege to do and it hopefully will continue to protect me and my my family um beyond, you know, requiring me to be in the chair to, to execute and, and get the project done and the check cash. So. I love it. Yeah. I I'm looking into buying a, a second investment property. My first one's long-term rental. I'm looking into short-term rental now, which I realize is a, a rabbit hole of information and YouTube videos to be learning from. So I, I might follow up with you with some, some questions and how you got that set up. Please. Uh, my, my husband is really the one that has taken the, taken the lead. I'm just the, the learner, the, the uh, second in command supporter. Um, but one really great resource, if you or anybody um, is interested in like the Airbnb short-term rental model, um, there is so many voices out there, a lot of annoying ones. So I'm always grateful to find folks that aren't annoying and like give you great information. Um, this YouTuber called Row Built, Raw Built, R-O-B-U-I-L-T, has a YouTube channel where he answers all different kinds of stuff uh, about that subject matter and has great, I think he has like a course program, you know, talking about revenue sources. Um, and he puts it all out there. It gives you like really nitty gritty details. We didn't really use it, use him to start the first one, but I just got kind of served his videos and um seems legit so anyways good resource to check out yeah thanks for that so maybe maybe to start wrapping up here you you mentioned before we started speaking that uh you you like to find things outside of work maybe that don't relate to you making money uh things that bring you joy outside of work so how do you like to spend your time when you're not working yeah uh i think some are pretty basic spending time with family and friends going to restaurants, like movie, watching movies and TV, 
that's like the the big things that occupy occupy my time uh, outside of work. Uh, something more um, outside of the, the the basic category. Um, I really like uh, drag drag queens, drag performers, um, all things that are like the reality TV show Drag Race. Um, I've learned it's such a speaking of like learning from outside of your sector, like learning it's a great source of entertainment, but also I've learned a ton kind of secondarily about uh, the business world of the entertainment industry through watching different people on a local level or the national stage kind of uh, grow their businesses through the use of social media, through getting on this reality show and all that. Um, and that's a big uh, fun thing that I like to do with uh, friends um, in my off time, go to different because um, drag uh, there's all different kinds of performances from comedy to uh, burlesque to uh, lip syncing to brunches, variety shows. And it's just like such a um, creative art form. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't like to do it, but I like to, to watch and, and follow different performers in that space. That's a fun thing I like to do um, in my free time. Yeah. I, I personally, and I wonder if you can relate to this. I personally had trouble allowing myself to just sit down and watch TV uh, for a while because it always felt like I needed to be working on something or be productive, but something over the years that I've learned to do. And I encourage others as well to find these things unrelated to work where they can just enjoy something and not worry about being productive. So it's really cool to hear your, your interest outside of work. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, easier said than done sometimes. I mean, it's easy for me to be lazy. That's not hard, but I, uh, you know, there's uh, all this great guilt that all different folks will pass to you <laughs> yeah. uh, or that you will pick up on your own. You're like, if I just work an hour longer, it's easy to get caught up in that hamster wheel. But um, I feel like life goes in seasons where you're like season of more, you know, someone else is smarter said this, but I took it. Um, basically, it's like there's uh, John Acuff. Yeah. Uh, author, smart business guy. Um, he says life's in seasons where it's like, okay, one season, mm. you're going to be super, you'll have the energy and the thrill and whatever to like work after hours and like get things done for me in my twenties or was it twenties? I don't know. Uh, in call co after college and, um, in the years earlier in my career, I was writing on the side all the time in different publications. And it was easy to do once a week, sometimes the weekends. And I still was able to like manage life. The season I'm in now, I would be devastated by that. It is, I don't have the energy. Uh, I need to be away from work for long periods of time to enjoy it. So um, not long period, but I need like, you know, purposeful breaks. So yeah, I can commiserate on that for sure. Yeah, I love it. So I, I got three uh, maybe easy questions before we wrap up here. So what's, what's an opinion you have about business that you think most people would disagree with? Um, what is an opinion of about business motivation to screw with? Um, hmm. business or marketing? Yeah, I think something that uh, a lot of folks think of is that like success is overnight success. I don't think this is unique to me by any means, but I don't know. I, I feel like the media and on social media, we see like you know everyone sh shares their best foot forward, myself inclu included, and success seems like so quick. Um, and I really think that in business and marketing and life, there's uh, so much that goes into every win and often into every loss too. Um, I, I think there's often more of a rat race than we see. Um, if it feels like for myself, like I try to be like more authentic on social media sometimes. And then other times I'm like, I just don't feel like sharing the process or I don't have the urge to share the messy part. I just want to... <laughs> just want to show the wind. It's not, not engaging for me personally to share the buildup. Uh, and that's okay too. But I just think um, not getting caught up that everyone's at this like higher level and, you know, the comparison game, I think in business and in marketing, there's such, it takes a lot of time to get even small wins. And uh, it's important to remember that, that we're just seeing the kind of the glamour shots of all the different points I feel like my LinkedIn, surely at certain points to someone potentially starting off in marketing might be like, wow, like, you know, how do I get to this point or how I duplicate success? And it's like, 
this took me almost uh, almost at 10 years um, in my own business. And there's a lot of whatever, work, failures, switches, uh, uh, career switches in the meantime to get to this point. And I'm really proud of myself of where I'm at, but um, took a lot to get here. So I think um, overnight success isn't real unless you're, you know, a billionaire. I, I appreciate the transparency there. Um, what What's one of the most impactful pieces of advice you've been given? Similar to the, similar to the last question, um, this wasn't really advice like a one person gave to me, but something that sticks out in my mind is that I think in the social media age, someone that like is part of my work is focused on social media. There's this like push to show all behind the scenes and share everything that you're working on or the progress and blah, blah, blah. I think it's more, I know, sorry, I don't think, I know it's more than okay to um, not fail publicly. You can fail privately. You can work on something Mm. that you don't have to share on LinkedIn or with your full circle. Maybe you share with one friend to help you stay accountable or your significant other or whatever, but you don't need to put yourself out there and, and explain and share with the world, everything that you're working on. Um, I think it's okay to, I, I know it's okay to, you know, fail privately at times um, from a professional standpoint. I think that was from um, Marie Forleo. Um, she did like a whole video on that subject. And I think it's, it's fitting for the times is that like, it feels like, I don't know, in the marketing space, maybe I'm talking from the silo. It's like people often like to show like, Oh, I'm working on this book or whatever the thing is. And it's like, I don't know. Uh, I've done both and I've, you know, announced things or like said things to a friend group. And then it's just like, you're, um, you have to like give them an update on stuff. And it's like, maybe some things, you know, it's okay to fail and it's, you know, not, maybe not necessarily to like have to discuss every aspect with multiple people, either publicly or like in your social circle. So, um, yeah, that's a good piece of advice. That's been helpful for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's a great reminder. That's a great reminder. I might be seeing the same things you're seeing, particularly on LinkedIn, where I'd say maybe at this point there's oversharing going on. Um, but yeah, that can be a, a topic for another time. So, but I, I appreciate that reminder for us, uh, for both of us and the listeners. So, last question here: Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, uh, my website is just brianonigman.com. That's where you can find. Um, probably over 400 articles and interviews I've done, uh, videos, podcasts, interviews on all things marketing. You can just go to my site, search any topic uh, related to marketing, and it's likely I have something on the subject subject matter. Um, that's the probably the best place to find me. And then, of course, LinkedIn, it's just Brian Honigman. And that's uh, last name is Honigman, H-O-N-I-G-M-A-N. Those are the best places to stay in touch. Awesome. Brian, thank you so much for the time today. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you.